0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the podcast of excellence. We are talking about, what are we talking about, book four, chapter six. What are your impressions of the fight between Helena and Pierre? Did Helena and Dolikov really have an affair? Was Pierre really trying to kill Helena with that piece of marble? Pierre's demeanor certainly changed over the course of the book so far. Do you think he will come to redeem himself or continue to let his anger take over? Fragrant Squirrel 99 said, I just caught up on the last three days. I missed so much excitement. I did not think Pierre would have been able to shoot Dolokhov. Dolokhov was such a rascal. But then bringing in his tender humanity towards his mother and his sister made it so heartbreaking. We all put on facades. I enjoyed Pierre a lot at the beginning of the book when he wasn't insecure and was able to speak his mind. But now he is just pitiful. I hope for redemption, but I have a feeling he will only go further in his anger and make a mess of everything around him. Are there no legal consequences to duelling during this time? Does Pierre have anything to worry about, especially if Helena did not have an affair with Dolokhov? I think... I don't think it was legal to have a duel, but I think it was still something that happened. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they could just legally do it, but it's one of those things that, like, back in the day, you know, at a certain, some point it was legal Um, and now it was just something that still happened I could be wrong, I don't know why I think that but I think that was something I picked up from the previous reading, last time I read this book Pierre, what do we think of Pierre? You know, like we've seen him just be pushed around and pushed around and pushed around since the start of the book and he goes with the flow, he goes with the flow but you can kind of understand how he's been kind of just Ground down until the point where you know he's flipped out, he's had enough, and um, Dolokhov has been pretty disrespectful, and so he's challenged him, which is pretty intense. But I guess in the day, that's what you did, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, now he's shot a man, and now he's threatened his wife with a slab of marble. So, um, it's, it's funny because on the one hand, it's good to see. It's kind of not good, but it's refreshing to see him sort of stand up for himself, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like he's overcorrected. You know, he's been being pushed around so much, and now he's like no more being pushed around. And I guess that's what happened when someone gets, you know, kind of bullied or or pushed around to an ex- to some extreme. And at a certain point, it, it can often correct itself too far in the other direction. And that's what it seems like. Ashamed of my opinions, says... While it is a bit silly he let Helena have his estate, I think it's a step in the right direction. Pierre only received this fortune because he did everything he was told, but now he is finally making decisions for himself. I trust he will continue doing so and the Pierre who just went with the flow is gone. Um all right, Stephen Foxbat says Regarding Pierre's anger, I think it's quite an astutely characterized feature of his nature. He is highly moral, as demonstrated in his soliloquy, but also given to bad temper. I've thought a lot about my own anger, and although I like to think I've matured a bit, when I vent my anger, it often feels like it's my form of honesty. It feels like I owe it to myself and others not to repress genuine feelings. If you were being charitable, you could say that, albeit ironically, it's like he is sacrificing himself or putting himself aside for the good of morality and honesty, which explains him presenting Dolokhov a fair shot in the duel. Otherwise, maybe he just has a bit of growing up to do, as arguably most people do. A lot of men, at least, are basically little boys trapped in powerful bodies. I guess the real question is, how much does he care about others? Maybe he needs a dose of responsibility. Yeah, I guess he does allow Dolokhov to have his fair shot, back at him, which is a big call, he didn't even turn his body to, you know, to to reduce his kind of front-facing size, Um, and he did threaten Helena with a slab of marble, but he didn't um, lay a finger on her, I guess, Um, so despite his horrendous behaviour in the last few chapters, there are some slight glimmers, I guess, of some... Uh, what's the word? Some uh, voice of reason, I guess, um, within him. Real Skydiver said, quite simply, I like Pierre. Very cool. Okay, so what are we reading now? Chapter 7. Book 4, Chapter 7. Let's get on with it, hey? Oh, A bit of a quick one tonight, because as you can hear, I am quite tired so I'm a bit keen to just get this chapter out of the way. Hopefully it's a good one. And um, hit the sack. Chapter 7 goes like this. Two months had elapsed since the news of the Battle of Austerlitz and the loss of Prince Andre had reached Bald Hills, and in spite of the letters sent through the embassy and all the searches made, his body had not been found, nor was he on the list of prisoners. What was worst of all... For his relations was the fact that there was still a possibility of his having been picked up on the battlefield by the people of the place and that he might now be lying recovering or dying alone among strangers and unable to send news of himself the gazettes from which the old prince first heard of the defeat of Austerlitz stated as usual very briefly and vaguely that after brilliant engagements the russians had had to retreat and had made their withdrawal in perfect order. The old prince understood from this official report that our army had been defeated. A week after the Gazette report of the Battle of Austerlitz came a letter from Kutuzov informing the prince of the fate that had befallen his son. Your son, wrote Kutuzov, fell before my eyes, a standard in his hand, and at the head of a regiment he fell as a hero worthy of his father and his fatherland. To the great regret of myself and of the whole army, it is still uncertain whether he is alive or not. I comfort myself, and you, with the hope that your son is alive, for otherwise he would have been mentioned among the officers found on the field of battle, a list of whom has been sent to me under flag of truce. After receiving this news late in the evening, when he was alone in his study, the old prince went for his walk, as usual, next morning, but he was silent with his steward, the gardener, and the architect, and though he looked very grim... He said nothing to anyone. When Princess Mary went to him, at the usual hour, he was working at his lathe and, as usual, did not look round at her. Ah, Princess Mary, he said suddenly in an unnatural voice, throwing down his chisel. The wheel continued to revolve by its own impetus. And Princess Mary long remembered the dying creak of that wheel, which merged in her memory with what followed. She approached him, saw his face, and something gave way within her. Her eyes grew dim by the expression of her father's face, not sad, not crushed, but angry and working unnaturally. She saw that hanging over her and about to crush her was some terrible misfortune, the worst in life, one she had not yet experienced, irreparable and incomprehensible. The death of one she loved, Father Andrew, said the ungraceful "'awkward princess, with such an indescribable charm of sorrow "'and self-forgetfulness that her father could not bear her look "'but turned away with a sob. "'Bad news, he's not among the prisoners nor among the killed.' Kutuzov writes, and he screamed as piercingly "'as if he had wished to drive the princess away by that scream. "'Killed!' "'The princess did not fall down or faint. "'She was already pale, but on hearing these words her, fa- her face,' changed, and something brightened in her beautiful, radiant eyes. It was as if joy, a supreme joy apart from the joys and sorrows of this world, overflowed that great grief within her. She forgot all fear of her father, went up to him, took his hand, and drawing him down, put her arm round him, his thin, scraggy neck. "'Father,' she said, "'do not turn away from me. Let us weep together.' "'Scoundrels! Blackguards!" shrieked the old man, turning his face away from her, destroying the army, destroying the men, and why?' Go, go and tell Lisa. The princess sank helplessly into an armchair beside her father and wept. She saw her brother now, as he had been at the moment when he took leave of her and of Lisa, his look tender yet proud. She saw him tender and amused as he was when he put on the little icon. Did he believe? Had he repented of his unbelief? Excuse me. Was he now there? There, in the realms of eternal peace and blessedness, she thought. Father, tell me how it happened, she asked, through tears. Go, go, killed in battle, where the best of Russian men and Russia's glory were led to destruction. Go, Princess Mary, tell Lisa. I will follow. When Princess Mary returned from her father, the little princess sat working and looking up with that curious expression of inner happy calm peculiar to pregnant women— It was evident that her eyes did not see Princess Mary, but were looking within, into herself, at something joyful and mysterious taking place within her. "'Mary,' she said, moving away from the embroidery frame and lying back, "'give me your hand,' she took her sister-in-law's hand and held it below her waist. Her eyes were smiling expectantly. Her downy lip rose and remained lifted in childlike happiness. Princess Mary knelt down before her and hid her face in the folds of her sister-in-law's dress. "'There, there. Do you feel it?' "'There, there. Do you feel it? I feel so strange. And do you know, Mary, I am going to love him very much,' said Lisa, looking with bright and happy eyes at her sister-in-law. Princess Mary could not lift her head. She was weeping. "'What is the matter, Mary?' "'Nothing. Only I feel sad. Sad about Andrew,' she said, wiping her tears on her sister-in-law's knee. Several times in the course of the morning Princess Mary began trying to prepare her sister-in-law— and every time began to cry unobservant as was the little princess these tears the cause of which she did not understand agitated her she said nothing but looked about uneasily as if in search of something before dinner the old prince of whom she was already afraid came into her room with a peculiarly restless and malign expression and went out again without saying a word she looked at princess mary then sat thinking for a while with that expression of attention to something within her that is only seen in pregnant women "'and suddenly began to cry. "'Has anything come from Andrew?' she asked. "'No, you know it's too soon for news, "'but my father is anxious and I feel afraid.' "'So there's nothing?' "'Nothing,' answered Princess Mary, "'looking firmly with her radiant eyes at her sister-in-law. "'She had determined not to tell her "'and persuaded her father to hide the terrible news from her "'till after her confinement, "'which was expected within a few days. "'Princess Mary and the old prince each bore and hid their grief.' In their own way, the old prince would not cherish any hope. He made up his mind that Prince Andrew had been killed, and though he sent an official to Austria to seek for traces of his son, he ordered a monument from Moscow which he intended to erect in his own garden into his memory, and he told everybody that his son had been killed. He tried not to change his former way of life, but his strength failed him. He walked less, ate less, slept less, and became weaker every day. Princess Mary hoped, she prayed for her brother, as living, and have, was always awaiting news of his return. All right, there we go. There's the chapter for you. Grim times at Bald Hills. Have your say over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.